0: Welcome guys and gals to the Man Talks Podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. Man Talks exists to help develop self-aware, high-performing, and impactful men in the world, the type of men you want to be, and the type of men you want to be around. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Before we jump into today's episode, I just want to remind all the guys out there to head over to facebook.com forward slash men talks community and join the conversation. We've got thousands of men from around the world who are having conversations each and every single day about purpose, about legacy, about business and entrepreneurship, about health and fitness, family, finance cryptocurrency, you name it, we talk about it in there. So head on over, join the conversation, some great guys that are in that conversation. And for all the local Vancouver, Calgary, and Toronto guys, I just want to remind you that we do have events and mastermind groups, live mastermind groups in your cities. Uh, Head on over to mantalks.com forward slash mastermind and performance mastermind to check that out. So with me today, I have a much-awaited guest. We have been uh, inundated. Really, that's the only word. I've never had so many requests for us to have this conversation. So today's conversation is all about cryptocurrency. It's about blockchain, and it is about the future of a different financial model. And with me today is Amir Rosick. And Amir is an entrepreneur. He's an investor. He's a blockchain evangelist and the founder of Block Geeks, an online hub uh, about the rapidly evolving world of blockchain technologies. And Rosic Media is a niche digital marketing firm, which is a company uh, that has helped many. Many companies leverage the latest and greatest marketing strategies to fuel their businesses. Global brands like 5-Minute Journal, Luxury Hair, Activation Product, QCon, Socialite Conference, Decentral, Jax, and so many other Fortune 500 caliber companies. He is really doing some incredible work, especially with Black Geeks, which is a website that explains some of the block, uh, blockchain technology along with Bitcoin technology. Uh, I think they see somewhere about 1 or 1.5 million people every single month who are, are logging on there and checking out their site. so uh, definitely head over to block geeks we talked a little bit about it in this podcast episode but this episode is all about cryptocurrency we are going to break down some of the fundamentals so if you're not too familiar with cryptocurrency we're gonna kind of we're gonna try and start from the basics we're gonna talk about what is cryptocurrency how is it different we're going to talk a little bit about Bitcoin specifically and what that is. We're going to talk about blockchain and Amir actually breaks down what blockchain actually is. And we're going to look about at how these technologies are going to shift and change Uh, potentially our future industries. So Amir dives into some of the industries that could be impacted by these technologies, why it's such a huge threat to the government, uh, why it's such a huge threat in terms of the current banking system and financial economic system. So it is a really, really cool conversation. Um, I got a lot out of it. And I can tell you that this probably will not be the last conversation uh, that we have about cryptocurrency as it continues to evolve. So if you find uh, great value out of this conversation, let me know hit me up through any of our social media channels Instagram uh, I run all of them personally so I'd love to hear from you about what you thought of this podcast episode and who else you would like to hear on so without any other further delay I would like to introduce and bring on Amir Rosik
1: Thanks for having me on man how are you doing
0: I am great I'm great Yeah so let's let's just dive in because you know this is something that a lot of our listeners have really been dying to hear a lot of the guys have been reaching out like Find somebody about blockchain, find somebody about cryptocurrency, like interview, we, we want to know, we want to know. So I'm excited to dive into that. But before we do, I would love for you to share a defining moment for you in your life or a defining moments that have really led you on the path of where you are today. So I'm going to rewind back
1: to when I f- almost elementary school, uh, but entering high school. So I barely f- fit in elementary school. They wanted to put me on Ritalin and Prozac. They said I was super hyperactive. They told my mom, I need all these drugs. Thank God she never put me on any drugs because I could never sit for eight hours, but which kid should sit for eight hours is ridiculous. Then I went to high school and I never really fit in. I'm like, what's the purpose of going to school? I'm learning absolutely nothing. This is boring. It sucks. I never went to school. And then I'll never forget the day some guidance counselor told me, well, the reason you need to go to school is you need to go to college, you're get a degree, and that degree is gonna get you a job, blah, 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 and you're gonna make money. I'm like, screw that. I'm like 14, 15, doing other extracurricular activities, and I was making more money than anybody in my life. And uh, I kind of got kicked out of high school right before grade 10, and I never went back. So I never went to high school or college, university. And I kind of, for the, you know, since 15 until the age of maybe 22 or 23, I lived a very independent, free-flowing lifestyle. So you can paint a picture of what that means. And then I got into you know, entrepreneurship and online marketing and, and uh, e-commerce. And through that journey, I met some very interesting people. I discovered uh, Bitcoin about a couple of years ago, and that really blew my mind. And then my business partner, which is Dimitri Buterin, his uh, son Vitalik Buterin invented Ethereum here in Toronto, which we're from. And that kind of pushed me over the edge because now it showed me the broader scope of what blockchain technology can do it's beyond currency it, it has many different applicable features that you can apply to on on a global scale and then i obviously love the culture of the blockchain culture which is I, i'm not big on labeling but the closest thing you can get to is like libertarian independence self worth uh self-nationalism as opposed to global nationalism or statehood you are the state you are defined respected individual and you have absolute rights not the government over you but you as an individual has rights so that very strong libertarian mindset and that what really attracted to me i was kind of living my whole life as a libertarian and not really knowing it and so the whole culture and the people really attracted me first before the technology and uh, i just fell in love with the space
0: nice nice That's would say that's a great way of putting it i think that you know, your background is so interesting in it, just in terms of like the education process and the, the shifting away from the sort of traditional methods. Uh, you know, you mentioned being a hustler. I think that that was, that was one of the things that you talked about before. I've seen you talk about that before as well. And I think it's just, it's so applicable to see the, the trajectory that you can hustle and not need to go to the traditional path and still have incredible success. So I think in terms of, how i want to structure this because there's a lot to cover you know there's cryptocurrency there's blockchain there's you know all these different things so let's just start with cryptocurrency why did it draw you in in the first place what was so appealing about it
1: well i grew up you know watching documentaries such as zeitgeist and all these conspiracy things about like the illuminati etc and from a very early age and this started when i got kicked out of high school maybe from the age of 15 or so like yeah i was about 15. The whole fiat currency system, the whole system itself, I was kind of like anti-establishment for a very uh, early age. And when Bitcoin came out about eight years ago with the Satoshi White Paper, I didn't quite get the technology back then. So I was first introduced to Bitcoin when it was roughly 300 bucks. And then when I started learning more about it, when I started really understanding how the technology works and the power behind it, I realized then and there that this is anti-war technology. This is technology that empowers human beings as opposed to suppresses human beings. You know, if we compare that to our fiat currency system, our fiat currency system in a nutshell is run by central banks or the central banks that has sister central banks around the world. They control the output of the currency. They control uh, how much inflation goes. They control interest rate. They do something called quantitative easing. They're puppet masters. They can do whatever they want. There's nothing backing money. There's no intrinsic value in money. It's a make-believe type of currency. You know, it used to be backed by gold. They took it off. It used to have some value. It used to be controlled by mathematics. It's not anymore. It's a kangaroo type of currency. But what Bitcoin or or Satoshi Nakamoto, which we have no idea who he, she, it, they is, they they created this cryptocurrency on the blockchain, which empowers people. Um, It's a decentralized system where nobody controls it where there's nobody that tells you this This is how much Bitcoin we're going to mine or print or create. You know, this is the inflation rate of it or this is the deflation rate rate of it. It's a true self-entient being that empowers people that anybody around the world, regardless of your religion, regardless of your color, regardless of where you live, regardless of your political views, you can use Bitcoin in this case. You can send it around the world and you don't have to worry about anybody tampering with it. You don't have to worry about anybody changing inflation rate on it. You don't have to worry about if the banks are open from nine to five. You, what you know that it is tamper-proof, it is resistant-proof, and nobody owns it. And it's almost kind of like akin to one of my favorite books is uh, Damon. It's almost akin to having this like self-sentient being, this type of self-sentient entity online that actually does good for mankind.
0: All right. So you've kind of listed off some of the benefits of a cryptocurrency and you know what it can possibly do for our economy it sounds like what it really offers up is a decentralization of a currency so instead of the average person having to house their money in a bank and the bank using that money to do whatever they want and you know the central banks being able to dictate what a currency is worth et cetera, et cetera, it puts the onus of the money into the individual's hands is that somewhat close
1: yes and above all it creates transparency because let's say i send you a bitcoin transaction and uh, we fast forward five years from now at any given time you and i can go to the bitcoin blockchain and exactly see if this transaction happened or not so there's no lying there's no cheating there's no you know i given money never received it everything's confirmed so what this does is creates a true transparent type of cryptocurrency that truly i would say empowers almost every single human being in the world. And I actually see Bitcoin more or less as not even like a day-to-day currency currently as a state, but I actually see it as more of a store of value at the moment where I don't want to park my money in fiat. In fact, I don't even want to park my money in precious metals. I'd rather park my money in a distributed decentralized uh, cap system such as Bitcoin, which is only going to be 21 million mined ever, period. I think that'll be around like the year 2100 or something. You and I will probably be Maybe dead or maybe not. Who knows what technology? <laughs> um, yeah, you never know with CRISPR. So true. That's, that's what really entices me. It's like we have this system now that what I love about it is nobody controls it. It is a decentralized distributed ledger that's run on one of the most, let's say, let me put it this way. Bitcoin has more computing power than all the computers put together in the world currently. Hmm. Uh, their network is so big. They're being attacked for the last eight years. So always people talk about, oh, Bitcoin's going to get ha- get hacked. Listen, Bitcoin's trying to get hacked every single day for the last eight years since 2008 when it came out. It's a it's, you know north of forty billion dollar market cap. The smartest of who's who people in the world is trying to take that forty billion dollar purse down. It's so far resistant proof. It's so far tamper proof. In my mind, it is the only true form of you know. There's other cryptocurrency, but the original, the original true form of online value. They've tried to do this in the past. They tried to create digital money in the past, but they failed because it was run on centralized servers. And Nick Zabo, he was part of some uh, interesting projects back in the day, and he's, he's sourced in the original Satoshi white paper. But for the first time ever, we actually have this digital cryptographic algorithm, and this value that is actually has intrinsic value that you can use as currency, which if you really think about it, think about it. What we were able to do or what Satoshi was able to do was to take literally lines of code, you know, if you picture your head, whatever lines of code you want, you know, ones and zeros, and actually add value to it. And what? why is it so important is this, in a, nuts, in a nutshell, that code now cannot be duplicated. It cannot be replicated. It cannot be sent, you know, from a fake address. That code has value now. So if we know anything about value, if there's a limit to supply of something, obviously value goes up. And that's what they talk about, you know. gold and diamonds that's a whole different story but now with with this code there is a cap to this code there's only going to be x amount of this code and you can't replicate it when you want you can't duplicate it when you want you can't forge anything when you want this is exactly how it's going to be for the rest of the existence of how long bitcoin exists for
0: Mm. so you know you mentioned you know how the dollar used to be weighted off of the federal reserve off of gold and now it's shifted from that you know from that arena I think one of the biggest concerns that a lot of people have is around that fact, like, you know, what is cryptocurrency based off of? Um, because if, you know, if we had money that used to be based off of gold, it used to be weighted in something. Now, you know, economists can, you know, try and sell us the fact that uh, money is is loosely related to the GDP of a country and some other factors. But what gives cryptocurrency or specifically but Bitcoin in this case, it's inherent value well one is the consensus model so
1: bitcoin if we look at our currency system at least uh, the central banking currency system in north america each country is a little bit different variants uh we run on uh let's say keynesian economics so can you know forget the guy's full name but his last name was keynesian Uh, so keynesian economics and for the most part cryptocurrency they try to run an Austrian economics. So those are two main train of thoughts when it came to economics back in the day. When people ask, well, what, what gives Bitcoin value? Well, there's a couple of things that give Bitcoin value way more value than fiat currency, whether it is f- fiat currency today or if it is fiat currency backed by gold. First of all, the number one thing that matters is nobody controls it. That's really important to understand. There's nobody, there's no like, there's, you, know, you know they're saying? There's always a white man on top to control things. I'm like, there's no evil, you know, uh, suspicious white guy on top controlling things. Um, Nobody controls it. Nobody owns it. It's a decentralized program. Number two, based on the consensus algorithm. So each cryptocurrency, and there's like 800 plus cryptocurrencies in the world right now, but Bitcoin has a consensus algorithm called proof of stake, where mathematically what it has to do what these miners or the the, the supporters of the network. I don't like to use miners word, but the supporters of networks have to do mathematically what they have to do cannot be cheated cannot be forged cannot be let's say duplicated by some software it has to be done through what they do what they call mining has to be done through that and number three a cap so our fiat currency system it's a limited printing we have something called quantitative easing They, they do it all the time for example 2008 oh my god uh, the economy is crashing because of real estate and there's no money and the auto company is going out of business and the insurance companies are going in business and these mortgage companies are going out of business. The government comes, it bails them out. And guess what? The government needs to in- incentivize and promote the economy. What do they do? Quantitative easing. They literally print money on demand and they flood the market with money. Well, Basic economics 101 is when you have more of something, what happens? The value goes down. When all of a sudden you have like $1.2 trillion being printed, what happens to the value of your dollar? It decreases. Like people, people don't understand that the biggest tax we have in our fiat currency system is inflation. The inflationary tax is ridiculous. Like look at the buying power of a dollar in 1985 compared to now. Look at the buying dollar of say 2017 and let's have the same conversation 2030. It decreases, you know, our, our money The system of our money, to be honest, sucks. It's horrible. It's not designed uh, properly. Oh, Some say it is actually designed properly. That's a whole different conversation. Uh, (laughs) But Bitcoin is completely different. There is no quantitative easing. There is no one white man on top telling you what to do. There's there's nobody that can say, this is how I want it to do. It's based on cryptography. It's based on market caps uh, or limits of 21 million Bitcoin. It's based on mathematics. And it's based on network effects. And what I mentioned... Uh, what I just mentioned is all necessary ingredients in a blockchain. And none of this can be forged. None of this can be duplicated. And none of this can be, let's say, manipulated.
0: So in terms of making more currency, making more Bitcoin, we'll just stick with that one for right now. You know, I think one of the things that I've heard a lot of people talk about in, in terms of a concern is how do you actually make it? If you're not one of these people who is the supporter that's mining Bitcoin, how do you actually make it in terms of, you know, are we going to move eventually to, or could we move eventually to a system where people are paid in Bitcoin? How does, how is that structured? I I think that there's a lot of concern around how do we make it if we're not in this space of, of actually mining this currency?
1: You make it like you make any other money. You you offer value. For example, you know, freelancers all around the world get paid in Bitcoin, get paid in Ethereum, get paid in Monero, get paid in Litecoin. a bunch of marketplaces take bitcoin for example if you have a shopify store you can have a plugin right now that takes bitcoin so don't think of bitcoin as mining think of any other business so if you have a service or if you have a product to offer just accept cryptocurrency and that's how you make it like my goal is you know always people talk about well what is bitcoin worth to uh usd or what is bitcoin or whatever you want ethereum you know, what is it worth to canadian i'm like you're asking the wrong question In the future is not about switching over When you use Ethereum, you use Ethereum. When you use Bitcoin, you use Bitcoin. And the beautiful thing about cryptocurrency, and let's take technology out the window for for a second. Let's talk about actual philosophy and what Nassim Tlaib likes to talk about is optionality. So right now, if Connor and Mir want to do business, let's say I had a business in uh, China. Uh, I used to have a clothing company a couple of years ago. And if I wanted to buy raw materials from Guangzhou, as a Canadian, I had to take my Canadian currency switch it to American. So right away, I lost uh, based on our weak dollar. And then I had to go pay an American to the companies in Guangzhou. I had to do a wire transfer. That took a couple of days and I had to pay money and I had to physically go in the bank to do it. It's very archaic. I had no choice but to use the American dollar. They only accepted the American dollar. Well, with cryptocurrency, you have something called optionality because now for the first time ever, I have an option. I don't have to use USD. I don't have to use Canadian dollar. I don't have to use Euro dollar. If my supplier wants to take Ethereum, I can literally go on my phone or go online, he gives me his Ethereum address, I can send him $100,000 and it'll take less than five minutes and it'll cost me maybe a dollar to send him that much money. It's confirmed, it is non-replicatable, it's non-duplicatable, and that transaction is confirmed on the blockchain forever. That's the power of cryptocurrency. It gives me options. It gives you as a, whether you're a buyer or seller, what you decide to choose as value. If you want to get paid in Litecoin, you can get paid in Litecoin. If you want to buy something in, let's say Monero, you can buy something in Monero. For the first time ever, we, as a human species, we have the options of using different currencies based on our philosophical belief systems. And each currency has a different philosophical belief system. And I think we're living in amazing times right now. And we're living in, I'll say, one of the most experimental periods of of this technology, where I think a lot of people really don't understand how beneficial and important this technology is for mankind.
0: Yeah. And so how do you see this? Because I, I mean, I hear something really incredible coming out of this uh, conversation, but how do you see these cryptocurrencies impacting us moving towards a universal or a global economy versus like a true global economy versus what we have right now?
1: Great question so let's talk about money for a second What makes a nationality or not nationality as an heritage but a nation state for example United States what makes United States United States?
0: Yeah I mean you have a history you've got a you've got a culture yeah um, and then and then you know and then above that you've got this sort of hierarchical system of the the type of governing body that they choose and then yeah you've got the the actual currency itself that they decide to choose. Based on, yeah, based on their values, I guess. That's a good question. Precisely. So imagine this. Bitcoin does not have any
1: nationalism. Bitcoin doesn't have any religion. Bitcoin does not have any geographical location. Bitcoin does not have any creed. It doesn't have anything that you can say, hey, that's its ideology or ideology. And if you take that into consideration, then one must ask, then, what's the point of nation states when the currency that I choose, anyone in the world can accept it at any given period of time for literally, like for example, even with Ethereum, I can send a million dollars with Ethereum, maybe cost me $2 a cent. And it takes less than 10 minutes. It doesn't matter where you live. All you need is internet connection and you're good. So the whole idea of nation states completely change when currency is not attached to a nation state, when governments don't actually control that currency. Commerce changes, free trade uh, rules change. For example, NAFTA here in North America, United States actually has a pretty damn good deal with NAFTA, we don't. As Canadians, NAFTA, you know sorry if i'm swearing but nafta fucking sucks for canadians we get the short <laughs> end of the state, like it's horrible it's it's an absolute yeah. hor- horrible deal for canadians uh, but the american corporations they win they have a you know they have a really good deal for nafta but what that completely changes when i can bypass all of that use a cryptocurrency of my choice if the secondary party accepts it and i can do commerce with them so what this does as you mentioned earlier it actually creates a platform for a true globalized I'm going to say nation state, but a globalized society, uh, a true laissez-faire, capitalistic society, where we have real capitalism as opposed to this cronyism right now, where people think it's capitalism, but it's not capitalism, and we create this true economic freedom. It's expression of oneself. You know, money is communication. Money is language. And when I'm forced to use certain currency, you are literally censoring me. You're telling me this is this is the only language you're allowed to speak. But with cryptocurrencies, I have now the freedom, the expression to use multitudes of different languages and multitudes of different expressions of my mythology and my and my belief systems and like I mentioned earlier there's at the current state more than 800 different cr- cryptocurrencies and you know there's nothing stopping say you and I you and I want to make maybe you know I don't know we we'll we make a random cryptocurrency we'll take you know like a we'll call it the Connor you know cryptocurrency if all of a sudden a million people decide to have or they see value in the Connor cryptocurrency. All the power to you. There's nothing stopping from you guys creating your own cryptocurrency. So that's why I said earlier. I consider it an anti-war technology. And I think it's going to really redefine what society means, redefine what business means. Because the whole idea of blockchain, at the end of the day, what makes it so powerful is A, yes, it's a crypto. It's a different forms of of a store of value. But B, it eliminates intermediaries. So intermediaries are just third-party Companies or third-party people or third-party software, or anything third-party. For example, Bitcoin, what does Bitcoin eliminate? The banking system it eliminates the Federal reserve system. so it's peer-to-peer. It's a currency not run by anybody, not controlled by anybody that you you know Amir and Connor can freely express ourselves and use Bitcoin on a day-to-day basis. But beyond that is like, for example, if we look at business, if you wanna buy a house right now, I get a deed to the house, I have to go to a lawyer, I have to notarize the deed. He has to say, oh yeah, Amir, the deed is good and there's no liens against the house. and It's a legit paperwork. But what happens if that deed is uploaded to the blockchain, verified already, and you wanna sell your house on the blockchain? I'm like, oh, cool, Connor's selling his house for a million dollars. I come along, I give you, you know, deposit of $200,000 in any crypto that you accept. Automatically, since your deed to the house is notarized on the blockchain, validated already, you don't need to go to a lawyer. Lawyer's gone. You don't need to notarize by anybody. Automatically, it is now uh, recorded on the blockchain, transferred to my ownership on a mirror that everyone can see that now I'm the true owner of that property. So think of any application in the world that requires middlemen, whether it's escrow, goodbye, you're gone. Whether it, it is um, Western Union, they're gone. Uh, and there's a big company in in Silicon Valley disrupting them called Abra. Whether it's certain lawyers for notarization, you're gone. Anybody, Mm. Uh, third-party apps. If if it's a third-party app that says yes or no to this transaction, you're gone. So anybody that has a business model or legality situation that they're responsible
0: for making a transaction possible, goodbye. Yeah, so this is, it's a huge disruption in a lot of ways. I think it, from, you know, what I've heard from a lot of people, it, it really scares the shit out of them because there's a huge amount of decentralization on so many different levels of our economy, and on a global scale, and I, I think what I w- just before we move on to to blockchain and, and some other aspects, the, the thing that I would love to just touch on is you know this this idea of who's running it because I think for a lot of people this is a hard one. This is a block. I, I've I've talked to a lot of people, especially in the older generation, who really struggle to understand, and they keep coming back to this same comment of oh well somebody's got to be in charge of it. Somebody's running it and somebody's benefiting from it supremely. And you just don't know who it is. Whereas with the central bank, you know who it is, or with the you know president of the United States, you know who it is. And so that seems to be a huge roadblock. So can you break down the difference between just really simply at a high level, the difference between how our current monetary system is run from a high level and versus you know who's quote unquote in charge of cryptocurrency? Or, or not in charge of cryptocurrency and how that actually functions. Then,
1: sure. So to summarize both, I try to keep it as simple as possible and maybe give some yeah, analogy. Yeah, I know, examples. I know it's a, I know it's a big, big question. <laughs> and yeah, and it applies to different case studies. Um, to summarize, just for the fiat currency system, it's quite simple. You have a governing body. You have a Federal Reserve system. They define the rules. They define the interest rate. They define the economic, uh, let's say, variables of that year. It's simple. It's a group of people that come together and say, this is what's going to happen. We're going to print this money and we're going to do whatever we want to do. Uh, And 99.99% of the time based on complete flawed economics, like the stupidest of the stupidest economic theories. So that's the Federal Reserve System. Cryptocurrency, depending on which cryptocurrency you're talking about, is different. And I'm going to keep it simple. And let's just talk about Bitcoin because everybody knows Bitcoin. I always like to refer Bitcoin to an open source platform. So the biggest open source platform uh, or project is Linux. It's been going on forever. So what open source is, is quite simple. It's open code online that anybody can see, that anybody can test, that anybody can implement, that anybody can add to it, that anybody can do whatever they want with it. It's open source. That's the whole point. It's open to the world. There is no copyright against it. There's no you know patents for it. It is open so that's the first thing to understand open source nobody owns it it's out there for everybody to contribute so how bitcoin grew was like this this guy satoshi like i said we have no idea who he is or if they she they what whatever in 2008 they produced this white paper online uh in in certain uh, web forums and a bunch of people came around and started helping him he gave the code he's like hey guys this is my code and they started adopting the code, improving the code, started slowly first building the first blockchain nodes or the computers talking to each other. And then more people got involved. They're like, oh, what is this? Oh, well, here's open source code. So they got involved and they started implementing their own things, adding to the code, building more computers. So the computers talk to each other and so forth. It continued growing and growing and growing and more people getting. people have to understand what I mean by open source and people work in this, people literally spend their whole life working for free like working on Linux for free. I know developers are working on Ethereum and Bitcoin every single day for free. It's a culture. It's, it's a mindset. It's adding value towards the world, adding value towards the ecosystem, the economy, and creating something amazing that actually benefits the world. So it's an open source platform that kept on growing. The more people added code to it, more computers started getting connected to it. And slowly over time, it just kept on building momentum and, and, and building a more robust type of code. And yes, nobody owns it. There's nobody that tells... The Bitcoin, whatever, foundation or the Bitcoin code, like this is how you have to behave. No one can come around and just code whatever they want and say, this is how I want it. It has to go through an approval of every single person in the network. It's kind of like a jury, right? If you have one person almost says no, it doesn't get approved. And, and I'm just very, I'm really simplifying it right now. You know, I don't want to make it complicated. You know, pretend Connor, like, you know, say Connor's like the top engineer in the world in Bitcoin. Like he knows his shit and everybody knows he knows his shit. Connor can't come around and be like, all right, guys, this is the new code and everyone's going to run this code. Nope, nope, not at all. It has to go through a very, very, let's say, mathematical consensus based on miners, based on everybody who's involved in Bitcoin. Everybody has to prove it. And that's very difficult, extremely difficult. It hasn't done yet. And and no one's really done it yet. And one of the reasons why Bitcoin is having, let's say, scaling issues because of that. But uh, it's also a lot of benefits behind that as well. So, yeah. Nobody owns it. It's open source. You can go and you can contribute knowledge to it. You can do whatever you want with it. You can copy the code and create your own cryptocurrency, which is Litecoin. You know, Litecoin was created a couple of years ago based on a clone of Bitcoin. You can do the same thing for Ethereum. It's an open source project. You know, Connor and Mir can create our own Ethereum coin based, you know, we go to GitHub, we go to Stack Exchange, we just grab the code and we can do our own thing. And that's a beautiful thing about open source technology is, There is nobody that owns it. It's not a corporation. Like Ethereum is not an ink. You know, it's not an incorporation. It's not incorporated. Uh, There's no CMO. There's no CEO. There's no, it's not an organization. It's it's literally an open source code that lives online.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's perfect. Because I think that that's where people really struggle is like, who's in control of this? I think that we're, we're so used to our hierarchical systems that we really have a tough time comprehending, you know, a really decentralized, flattened out. Infrastructure for something to function because you know our companies are built like that, our families are built like that, our governments are built like that. Uh, you know our banks are built like that. You know, so it's really. I think that's where people really get stuck. So thank you for explaining that. And uh, let's just shift here to to blockchain because you've mentioned that quite a bit. For everyday person, um, blockchain might be something a little bit uh, analogous, something that they that they're really not too familiar with. So if you were to explain what blockchain is in a very simplistic way. What would you say?
1: Well, first I like to use analogy of Bitcoin. So right away, most people know what Bitcoin is. I always say blockchain is a technology that makes Bitcoin possible. Mm. You know, if that's the one sentence. And then expands for that. Ethereum is a blockchain. It's a blockchain technology. Litecoin is a blockchain technology. And what blockchain is, it's not like a new technology. Blockchain is a mixture of different technologies stacked together. You have uh, cryptography, you have decentralized networks, You know, you have decentralized networks with nodes, different consensus models. You have uh, crypto economics. You have all these different types of tech that came together and you literally stacked them all together. And that's a blockchain. And so if people want to picture how blockchain works in their head, you can just go to Google or go to BlockGeeks. Um, But in a nutshell, think, you know, picture a block in your head, then picture another block beside it and picture like a chain of blocks. Why it's called a blockchain and we'll use Bitcoin because everyone's familiar with that is like, okay. Connor and Amir, I send money to Connor. Connor accepts it. It's recorded on the blockchain. Our transaction goes to the Bitcoin blockchain in one of these blocks, and it's stamped. All right, this happened. Amir sent money to Connor. Cool. Then it happens vice versa. Connor sends Amir money. Cool. And I'm just super simplifying it here. That gets confirmed in the network, and now that goes in a new block, and it's stamped. Now there's two blocks. Block A is uh, me to Connor, and block B is Connor to me. And now, pretend four or five years you have thousands, if not millions of transactions on this block. Connor and Amir can go back on the blockchain. You can go to blockchain.info or in Ethereum Etherscan, and I can literally retrace four or five years from now and be like, oh, yeah, uh, Connor gave me money last year. And this time it's not going to say Connor or Amir, but you can see like an ID attached to it. But basically, what a blockchain is, it's a linear history of every transaction ever done in that ecosystem of blockchain, or in this case, in the ecosystem of Bitcoin that is. Uh, let's say you can't reverse it, you can't manipulate it, you can't change it, and you can't copy it.
0: It's it's set in stone. It sounds like it would be the most ideal system for filing my taxes. <laughs> yes. People talk about that. It's actually quite interesting.
1: It, it's actually quite beneficial for taxes if, in, in this transparent type of state. Yes.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So, okay, cool. So that, that gives, I think that gives the listeners a, a pretty good idea of what blockchain actually is. I know that one of the things that you talk about quite frequently is the different sectors and industries that blockchain could potentially impact. What Can you just describe which ones you think that blockchain could potentially have the biggest impacts on?
1: Well, number one is finance. Number two, I would say identity. So that's a big one. It's solving because there's roughly like 2.1 billion people who don't have a identity. And there's a couple of reasons. Number one, they don't have any physical forms of identification to even go to the government. Number two, they don't trust their government. Number three, they maybe lost documentations and they can't even find us They can't prove who they are. And digital identity is beyond just identity or like as a human being. What I mean by digital identity, imagine like, you know, Connor has a, a cryptographic identity where I don't know it's Connor. All I know is numbers. it's numbers, like one five six five two 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 whatever. Blah 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 blah. I always like to give the example of uh, the analogy of a bar, right? So in Canada, it's nineteen. I think the United States is twenty-one. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in Montreal, it's eighteen. So that's why a lot of Americans go to Montreal. Uh, so if I go to the bar, they're gonna ask me for ID. Well, I give them my whole ID. Now they know my full name. Oh, they know where I live. They know my postal They know everything about me. Well, what they really only need from me is I need to prove to them that I'm 21. That's all they need to know from me. So what's really interesting about digital identity, and I think more and more people should start caring about, when you're on Facebook, when you're on Twitter, when you're on only so- Google, for example, the amount of data that you're leaking, the amount of metadata that pe- that these corporations or I would say platforms are Taking from you is ridiculous. They know everything about you completely and they're profiting from you. You, you're making zero money from your data uh, being sold to other people, which you should be actually be making money because they're going to be selling anyways. And you should be profiting as opposed to them. So with digital identity, we can now cryptographically secure Connor's identity, but now Connor has the power. Connor can now take his cryptographic identity and he can choose what he wants to reveal to other people based on his own voting system. Meaning if Connor wants to show me, his age, he can show me his age. If you want to show me uh, where you live, you can show me where you live. If you want to show me whatever metadata or whatever information you want to provide to me, you can provide to me. And what's really cool about this is this applies to all industries. It's going to be huge in medical because there's laws in in uh, the medical files where you can't transfer medical files over border because of patient confidentiality rules. But what happens if we cryptographically secure all these medical files? We don't know if it's like Conor Amir, it's John Doe for the sake of this conversation. And we can now transfer all these files around the world, create a better healthcare system. Uh, this applies to the unbanked, you know, 2 billion plus people who don't have any identity. So imagine every single human being in the world that has a cryptographic identity that empowers them to do whatever they like with their own identity.
0: Yeah, that's in, that's incredible, man. I really like the uh, the commentary around being able to pick and choose what parts of your life or data are being sold. Because, you know, when you think about Google right now, you can basically track everything that they can basically track everything that you do, and then that gets sold to marketers, et cetera, et cetera. So that that's a really cool feature that I had never even thought about because it's almost like on Facebook how you can pick and choose what people see of you. Uh, with this, it's the exact same thing. So that's that's really neat. Just for time's sake, because unfortunately we have to wrap up, I I've <laughs> talk to you about this for like hours and hours and hours, and maybe we'll have you back, uh, you know, in a year's time to just kind of see how the progress has happened. But what do you feel like one of the biggest challenges that that is facing bitcoin right now
1: yeah the whole industry as a whole is still very early so a lot of people think they missed out on this cryptocurrency rush i like to consider us in the same time frame maybe as when netscape came out maybe even like pre-netscape we're very very early in the space we're going to take a couple of years to mature this technology for scalability uh, mature this technology for securability, uh, because you know we're approximately a hundred billion dollar market cap in the whole cryptocurrency landscape that's nothing that's peanuts. you know Netflix can come around and buy every single crypto in the market and, and that's that so the biggest hurdle right now in the space is we need more talented people we need more engineers uh, we need more entrepreneurs we need more economists we need everybody we need more behavioral uh, psychologists who you know for incentivizations of human behavior we need more human talent to
0: enter the space and start contributing very cool very cool and if people want to Let's do both sides of the spectrum, but if people want to get involved, where should they go? And on the other side of the spectrum, if there's people that, that necessarily don't want to get involved, but they want to invest, um, what do you see as, as being the most stable platform for, for people to invest in?
1: Uh, if they want to get involved and learn what blockchain is and learn about Ethereum, learn about cryptocurrency and maybe get some training, uh, they can go to BlockGeeks, so B-L-O-C-K, geeks.com, so blockgeeks.com. Now, if you want to just buy any currency, obviously it does depend on what country you live. You can go on like simple exchanges, so exchanges that we use, whether that's Kraken, so k r a k e n dot com, or Quadriga; those are pretty decent
0: ones you can use. Yeah. Okay, and what about um, platforms like Coinbase that are starting to pop up? How does that play into this this equation?
1: You know, a lot of people are against Coinbase. I'm not, in fact. Uh, I think they're doing great in the space. They brought more people into the cryptocurrency space than pretty much all the exchanges combined. Yeah, you know, they're re- re- working very closely with the IRS. And uh, obviously, you know, in the crypto space, <laughs> a lot of people don't like the IRS. <laughs> uh-huh. hey, I don't blame them. Right? Nobody, No one likes a taxman, period, right? When a taxman comes knocking, oh, you gotta, you got to you get yourself a heart attack. But what I give them credit to is it's a great stepping stone for people to get their feet wet. So I recommend Coinbase to people, and it's, and it's very small amounts too. Coinbase is in a platform where you go, it's like, yeah, I want to spend $10,000, $20,000. That's like Kraken or like Quadriga, where you go and you actually wire transfer, you know, $20,000, $30,000, dollars $50,000. But if you want to get your feet wet quickly and get uh, validated quickly or verified quickly and want to maybe spend
0: 100 bucks, $200, I really like Coinbase for that. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, for everybody else that's out there listening, you should definitely uh, go check out blockgeeks.com. Uh, Amir, you're a big you're a big part of that, right? Yeah, founder, co-founder with my uh, partner Dimitri Buterin. Yeah, and can you tell us just really quickly a little bit about uh, about Dimitri and and uh, what else he's involved in? Yeah,
1: so Dimitri, serial entrepreneur, tech entrepreneur for the last like twenty years, uh, runs probably the most eminent or or best non for profit software company in the world, wildapricot.com, dot uh, Angel investor. He's also the father of Vitalik, which is the founder of Ethereum. Uh, so, yeah, just overall kick-ass guy.
0: Uh, and for everybody else out there that wants to get in touch with you, where should they go to find you? If they have any questions, you can
1: email directly at Amir, so two E's and an I, so A-M-E-E-R at
0: com, or just head over to bloggeeks.com. Awesome, brother. Thanks so much for joining me on the Man Talks podcast. It was an absolute blast. Uh, like I said, we might have to have you back next year once things progress. Uh, and for everybody else out there that's that's tuning in, don't forget to go to mantalks.com and check out more podcasts, blog posts, head over to iTunes, please give us a review. It goes a long way. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a kick-ass episode like this. And until next week, this is Connor Beaton from Antox, signing out.